From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon and welcome to this Friday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, a senior vice president here at the Family Research Council and an honor to be your Friday host. And thank you so much for joining us. We have a packed program. As you well know, it's been an extremely busy week on Capitol Hill. In fact, it is extremely busy even as we speak right now. Of course, we're up against the backdrop of a ticking clock as it relates to a potential government shutdown. And while the media is completely focused on the effects of a shutdown, the question really comes about is could a little turbulence next week and in the next few days potentially lead to some solid appropriations bills? Perhaps we'll be able to attack some of our government's out-of-control spending. Perhaps we'll be able to push back on some of the Biden's woke agenda. Well, all of this is up for grabs with discussion and what's going to happen. Well, the Heritage Foundation's Richard Stern will join me with an update and his thoughts on where we are and where we're headed. He'll join me here in just a moment. And as we head into the weekend, we have some good news on the ongoing fight to protect vulnerable children from permanent experimental gender procedures. The Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld laws both in Tennessee and Kentucky preventing these procedures for minors. Arkansas State Representative Robin Lundstrom has been a pioneer in championing these laws and she will be joining me with her reactions to the court's decision a little bit later on. And the first congressional hearing for the impeachment inquiry into President Biden took place yesterday, as you well know. And as you also know, the legacy media has been putting all hands on deck to protect the president, even as they are moving the goalposts again with interference, they're running for the big guy. Well, Curtis Hawk, he's the managing editor of Newsbusters, he'll be joining me to break down the legacy media's hypocrisy and the changing narratives that they've employed as new evidence continues to emerge. And when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, they opened the door for people and their elected leaders to implement policies to protect life, both on the state as well as the national level. But they also opened a window to examine just how strong or how weak some leaders are on this issue of life. And that includes some Republican leaders. We're seeing this in the Republican primary campaign, but we're also seeing it among some elected members of Congress. And we want to dive into this further. I'll be joined a little bit later in the program with FRC's Meg Kilgannon to discuss that. So we have a packed program for you. And just as a reminder, our website is TonyPerkins.com. In case you miss any portion of today's program, you want to be sure to check it out. And also there's archived multiple programs there for you and a ton of resources. So you don't want to miss any of it. Check it out there at TonyPerkins.com. All right, let's jump into the program for today. It's been an incredible week here in our nation's capital as lawmakers continue even as we speak to try to negotiate some sort of federal budget while they're facing a deadline of Friday, of a Saturday night, excuse me, before the government runs out of funds. So there was a stopgap measure, a CR, a continuing resolution that was uh, put on the floor today and it was rejected. And so House Republicans have entered into a closed door conference as we speak right now They are meeting, trying to figure out a way to avert a government shutdown. Uh, Certainly, that's going to be the media's focus, and and this is part of the process. Uh, But this is also why we elected conservative leaders to this Congress. Yes, there's going to be turbulence, but listen, you need to understand that these conservatives are moving the party to the right, and there are at least three primary goals For one thing, they're trying to get the government back on track financially with appropriations, bills, and processes 
That is the responsibility of Congress to do. But they're also trying to address and push back against some of the Biden administration's woke policies and the, the cultural drifting that we are watching take place to the left. And then they're also trying to secure our southern border. So a, a continuing resolution that continues the status quo is not going to get the job done. Well, joining me now with an update and the latest of what's happening right now on Capitol Hill is Richard Stern. He's the director of the Grover M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget at the Heritage Foundation. Prior to joining Heritage, Richard was a congressional staffer for seven years, and during that time he served as the policy staffer for the Republican Study Committee, where he was the staff lead on their budget and spending task force, and in fact spearheaded their work to create both the 2020 and 2022 federal budgets. So, Richard, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. Great to have you. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure to be here. All right. Well, let's, uh, man, what a week it's been. Let's just begin with the latest. What are you hearing right now? What's taking place? Well, you know, the Freedom Caucus is, of course, talking to people about doing a three-day rolling stopgap CR. But, you know, you pointed out, there's all these new conversations that we haven't had in a decade in this town about actually cutting spending, about actually restraining the regulatory arm, using the power of the purse to stop regulation. So, you know, I'm actually encouraged. As much as it looks like we're inching towards a shutdown and, and what a lot of the left wants to call chaos in the Hill, finally, we're not just rubber stamping a new massive spending bill. We're finally getting down the brass tacks about giving you back the money you earned and tying the hands of regulators. I can't tell you how glad I am to hear you say that because it seems all we are hearing from the legacy media is how horrible this is going to be, how devastating it's going to be, all the negative consequences. But this is part of the process, and we find ourselves at a point in our nation's history, as you say, we have to address some of these issues or we're going to be, we're, we're already in serious trouble. But if we don't address these issues now, then when will we address them? Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the mistakes is that a lot of people talk about the debt federal spending as a long-term burden. It's a burden on your kids and your grandkids. It is, but it's also a burden right now. The inflation that everyone's been feeling, the interest rates that have pushed home ownership out of the reach of many Americans, those are burdens of the federal debt and of federal spending today. And so, you know, these conversations we're having here are finally a recognition that the last 20 years of sluggish economic growth, punctuated only by the Trump years, right, has been very much a result of that federal debt and spending programs, not to mention the regulators that are financed with that spending. So, you know, I think this is the moment where the American public have woken up, they've gone to their representatives and said, no, we understand there's no magic money tree in the basement of the Fed, that every dime the government spends comes out of my wallet, whether it's taxes or inflation taxes, and everybody's had enough of it. Exactly. And we've got to get this spending under control. And, you know, it just seems to me, and tell me whether or not you would agree, it seems to me that the pain of a shutdown for a few days would be worth the the pain for a few days if we're able to return Washington to the way it's supposed to work. And if we actually start getting our financial house in order, it will be worth a few days of discomfort. Would you agree with that? You hit the nail on the head right there. Look, a few days shutdown, no checks are going to be interrupted. In fact, frankly, we could go for almost two weeks before anybody in the federal government would miss even one paycheck. So, you know, the left's demagoguing that somehow a shutdown over the weekend. I mean, if you think about it, the federal government shuts down every weekend. That's why it's the weekend. So the left's demagogy on this is exactly what that is. It's propaganda to try to put the shiny object in front of us and distract us from the real conversation which is how you deal with the interest rate crisis, the inflation crisis, the falling real wage crisis that is actually impacting every single American family in this country. So, yes, I agree with you entirely. This is the moment here for conservatives to use their leverage to get a solid win, finally, for the American public. Yeah, I've never thought about the fact that the federal government shuts down all weekend. Maybe that explains why America celebrates on Friday and celebrates all weekend because they don't have the federal government messing up their lives on the weekend. That's a great point that you bring up. All right, so if we can, and I know you're not there, I'm not there. Uh, I've been to a lot of these type of meetings and you have too. 
kind of take us behind the special called conference meeting right now. What do you think is going on? I'm sure it's extremely heated. There's a lot going on, probably some accusations pointed towards Speaker McCarthy for not uh, keeping some of his promises. But beyond that, they're trying to figure out a way out of this. What do you think probably is taking place right now in that conference? Well, I think you're absolutely right about what's happening there right now. And and look, you know, McCarthy made concessions to the conservatives in the House at the beginning of the year, and they involved regular appropriations process that each of the 12 individual approach bills would come to the floor, would have hearings, would have markups. But, you know, more importantly, to kind of open the curtain a little bit on the inside baseball, that we'd have amendment votes on these bills. This is the time where conservatives can offer amendments that put in good conservative values to these bills that, again, tie the hands of regulators, that tie the hands of executive orders in the bureaucratic state. We didn't get that process. Exactly one bill has full stop gone through the House out of 12 of them, and we're already at the end of the fiscal year. And that's just one, as you pointed out, of those kind of broken promises. So I think that's exactly what's going on at this conference. I think conservatives are standing up and saying, look, you made a deal to do the right things to allow us to keep our promise that we all ran on when we were running for election. You failed to do a lot of that, including, by the way, putting up bills that spend vastly higher than the agreed on cuts that conservatives have gotten to put out. The Limit Save Grow bill that was put up earlier this year made real cuts to spending. You put the RAINS Act, it would have put Congress back in the driver's seat in fiscal policy and regulatory policy, dealing with all of these ills we're talking about. Limit Save Grow went nowhere, and everything else that's come out in the House floor has been a shadow of that. But you know, all of these conference votes, every time we've had one of these where bills gotten voted down, the left crows about it being chaos and destruction. No, what's happened every single time is exactly your point. Conservatives have come out of these conferences with more and more conservative legislation, more of the legislation we know we would need to save this country. So I think that's exactly what's going to come out of the conference. Well, I agree with you. I think that's exactly what's taking place. In fact, I was texting uh, someone there right before we went on the air and they said, uh, yeah, it's very heated. But what you said is exactly what's going to happen. Now, let me let me hit this real quickly. And our time is is uh, clicking down on us. But um Every time, it is the conservatives, it seems, who are expected to make concessions. The pressure is put on them to back off. If this shutdown goes on for a few weeks or whatever, when does it become time, be it in the Senate or President Biden or even some of our own uh, perhaps moderates within the House, when is it time for these others to start looking at the need for them to concede? It's not just conservatives. The president needs to concede. The Senate needs to concede. What are your thoughts on that? I, I think you're spot on as always. You know, when conservatives concede, it's actually a concession against the American public, right? Because what we're asking for is to give people back the money they earn, to give them back their freedoms that the regulators are trying to steal from them. So, you know, when, if you want Biden and Democrats to finally make concessions, we got to do what conservatives, I think, have been doing this year, which is highlight that every dime they spend, it's your money. Every freedom they regulate against from you is something God gave you, a natural right you have that they're putting their boots on top of. So, you know, I think finally that message is starting to resonate and we might see those concessions yet. In fact, I'd say the dam has been breaking all year long on the Biden administration and his crooked friends. So I'm excited to see where we go from here. Thank you, Richard Stern from Heritage Foundation. Great to see you. Thank you for, for your input. All right, friends, after the break, we're going to celebrate a court decision to protect vulnerable children in Tennessee and Kentucky with Robin Lundstrom, one of the lawmakers championing this fight. Stay tuned. We'll be back. Today, more than ever, men need a reminder of what biblical manhood looks like and to understand God's good design for them, to serve as provider, instructor, battle buddy, defender, and chaplain. They need a battle plan to truly live out their role. Family Research Council's Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin and Dr. Keenan Kirtan's book, Strong and Courageous, a sequel to Man to Man, offers this battle plan so that men can pursue their God-given responsibility in a culture quickly turning away from God's design. The authors unpack the Old Testament book of Joshua as the focus of their study, asking readers to look to his leadership to help consider and apply the key principles of biblical manhood. It's time for men to accept their role in the family and community and truly embrace 
experience their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be disciples their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, your host on this Friday. Great to have you joining us on this program. All right, look, we're always glad to bring you good news here on Washington Watch, and especially when it has to do with protecting the lives of vulnerable children. Well, yesterday, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld laws in both Tennessee and Kentucky to protect minors from harmful, irreversible and really what amounts to nothing other than experimental gender procedures. The court recognized the damage that these procedures do. They stated actually that no one disputes that these treatments carry risks or that the evidence supporting their use is far from conclusive. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Arkansas State Representative Robin Lundstrom. She has been a champion on the SAFE Act to protect children In fact, she has assisted other state lawmakers to develop their own versions of SAFE Act laws. She represents the 18th District of Arkansas. Representative Lundstrom, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Thank you, Jody. Thank you for having me. This is an exciting day. It really is. Yeah, go ahead. What does this mean? Well, it's an exciting day to see these cases come forward. Um, We've lost a few and we've won a few, which means eventually the Supreme Court's going to have to weigh in. So, but what's exciting about this Tennessee and the Kentucky case is they're saying, wait a second, these kids are minors. They're not old enough to actually make a decision. And what I got a big kick out of it is one of the judges made the comment that this is an ever moving field. And this is experimental. So the judges are also looking at this from the science. They're looking at this, these are minors and they can't possibly make these decisions. And they're also looking at the actual science. That's what we've said all along. You can't change your genetics. It's just not possible. So the judges are getting clued in on this and they're looking at the medical information and making good decisions. And there's been three cases, three circuits that have not gone our way. So when you have that conclusion or that um, disagreement, guess what? The Supreme Court starts to weigh in. And so we're we're on that course. And it's going to be interesting to see how these other cases come out as well. There's 20 states now that have said, this is a bad idea. This is harming children. So it's going to be interesting to see how this all goes. Arkansas is on its way to the Eighth Circuit. So we've heard from the Eleventh Circuit. We've heard from the Sixth Circuit. 
And um, I think we're going to be hearing some more information coming soon. That is fantastic. Well, Robin, let me just, in behalf of all our viewers and listeners and people all across America, say a big thank you for your leadership. You really have been a champion on this. And as you mentioned now, so many other states, uh, in essence, are following your lead and, and that of the, some of the great leaders there in Arkansas. You know, I look at this decision, and it's, it's obviously an enormous victory for children, for parents, and all that sort of thing. But it's also a victory for democracy in a lot of ways. I mean, it, it validates the reality that elected leaders of the people are empowered to enact laws that don't violate the Constitution, obviously, but our elected leaders are indeed validated by this decision to enact laws. Do you agree with that? I do. And what I think is interesting is each of these states did their own version of the state SAFE Act, and their elected officials stood up. And these each of these 20 states are really brave to go forward, step up, they saw what happened in Arkansas, and it was a difficult process in Arkansas, and they still championed it, and they still moved forward, and they still passed it, even though there were some governors that weren't too happy about it. There were also some governors that said, bring it. Let's do this. So I love the fact that that's happening, and there's still more states that are going to go back and, and do this. So, yes, parents are also saying, wait a second, these are our children, and you're not going to cut off body parts of our children. You're not going to experiment on our children. So I love that the experiment is in our democracy and our democracy is stepping up and saying wait a second we're a republic not a democracy you don't get to vote nationwide vote these are parents and elected officials partnering together to say you're not going to touch our children and i love that and it's going to keep coming back and fighting for our kids absolutely and you know the, the all of this wrapped up together is just extremely exciting and encouraging and you know, just to go back a little bit to, to what you've been able to accomplish there in Arkansas, uh, you know, really largely with with your leadership and, and the work of others, I know, but uh, Arkansas was the first to pass a law to protect children from these mutilating surgeries and other type of treatments like this. And, uh, and of course, it's often the case with the first law, it gets tangled up in the courts. All right. So you have watched that uh, there in your own state. And uh, and yet, it seems encouraging to me that now that we have some success in places like Kentucky and Tennessee and Missouri and other other places, it looks like momentum is changing, perhaps even for Arkansas. What do you think is going to happen there? Um, I'm hoping right now the sex change surgeries, chem, uh, surgical and chemical, move forward in Arkansas. So it's still a sad thing in Arkansas that the judge has stepped forward and put a block on this. And so... Fortunately, we had a great attorney general in Leslie Rutledge, and she's now our lieutenant governor, so it didn't stop her from moving forward. And now we have a wonderful attorney general in Tim Griffin, and Tim doesn't know anything but 110 miles an hour, and he is working hard, and he's got an incredible staff of attorneys, and they're going to the Eighth Circuit. So they're right there in the middle of it, and they're also partnering with other attorney generals. So they're all working together. So a victory in Tennessee and Missouri and Kentucky is a victory for everybody. So I'm excited. Tim has been texting and updating me and keeping me in the loop. And it's exciting to see all these attorney generals saying, wait a second, children are worth fighting for and worth protecting. So this is a movement of individuals saying, wait a second, we're not going to look back in 10 or 15 years and say we didn't do anything. We stood up when the time was to stand up. So it's neat to see. And then the co-sponsors on this bill, they all came back. They were re-elected. We've had an election since then, and all of them were told, you're not going to make it back. They all made it back. So, yes, the, the people back home got it. They had our backs, well, they and they did. sent mm-hmm. So it's, it's a neat well, You know, look, there's going to be uh, challenges, of course. I mean, we've already had, right after the court decision, the ACLU and others came up saying that they're going to continue the fight to have the right to uh, mutilate children's bodies. And as you said, this is inevitably going to find its way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Robin Lundstrom, I want to thank you so much for your incredible leadership. We are extremely grateful for all that you have done, and thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. 
uh, I couldn't have done it without the support that nationwide y'all came in and helped us in Arkansas. We couldn't have done it without you. It was a team effort. And I'm so thankful that y'all wrapped Absolutely. your arms around prayer, but in support. And you came in there and helped us with the bill and helped us move the process forward. So I don't know what I would have Much done without you. Much more straight ahead, folks. Stay tuned. We've got to leave it there. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled a Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org worldview. Again, go to frc.org worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, the Senior Vice President here at the Family Research Council. Pleased to be your host on this Friday edition of the program. Well, as you well know by now, the House Committee on Oversight and Accountability held their first hearing for President Biden's impeachment inquiry yesterday. And of course, the legacy media, not only yesterday, but it has been for weeks, in fact, through this entire process, they've been fed the memo, if you will, to circle the wagons and protect the president. No matter where the evidence may lead, protect the president. In fact, Politico ran the cover uh, more, this morning. They stated that, and, and I say this because I, I've seen it over and over, but their statement was no evidence has emerged that the business dealings of Hunter Biden or other family members directly affected Joe Biden's decisions. Now, this is the message. You're going to hear this over and over. There's no evidence. There's no, Well, that uh, is just not accurate whatsoever. The, the legacy media has been moving the goalpost from the very beginning on all of this. And they essentially accept the premise that the Biden family, uh, okay, maybe they accepted bribes, they may say, but it didn't influence the president. It didn't influence the vice president. Uh, folks, they just keep moving the goalpost. And, you know, all of this is a far cry, if you'll remember, from President Biden angrily insisting to the American people that he never even discussed business dealings with his son. I mean, all of this is just so convoluted. Well, joining me now to discuss all the ways that the media, media have seemed to be banding together to protect the big guy is Curtis Houck. He's the managing editor of Newsbusters. Curtis, welcome to the program. Great to have you. Good to be with you, sir. All right. Uh, Media Research Center and Newsbusters, uh, you all have been all over this, how the media, the legacy media, has been running interference for the president. Uh, tell us some of the ways that they have been doing that where they just simply have not been honest and forthcoming with the American people. 
Well, really, there's two ways that they've been shaping the media coverage of this Biden impeachment inquiry. The first one is not covering it all. And we have a litany of examples that we've chronicled over recent months at Newsbusters. Currently in our must-read section, we have a story we've boiled down the nine biggest single findings thus far by either the New York Post or Congressman Comer or another media source. And we looked at how much coverage has been on ABC, CBS, and NBC. And across all nine scandals, there's been zero coverage. You know, they include the 20 LLCs that the Biden family has used to take in their tens of millions of dollars, or Biden's pseudonym uh, in his vice presidency that he used uh, in his email conversations, or Hunter Biden's business partner, Eric Schwerwin, getting 19 White House visits. Those are just a few examples of things that just have not been covered. The most recent example is the hundreds of thousands that was wired from the Chinese business partners of Hunter Biden uh, to him, except he listed his father's address in Wilmington, even though at the time he was living in California. But the other option, uh, Congressman, it, you do it this other way. If they do cover it, they shape it and they deceive it by saying there's no evidence, as you were talking about in your open. They just try to speak this into existence. And it reminds me so much of I know it's a sacrilegious name to bring up, but Mitt Romney would say this to Barack Obama in 2012, just because you say something over and over again doesn't make it true. And that's what the liberal media are trying to, to do with this by saying, ignore all of this. So we're just supposed to assume that we all have nearly two dozen LLCs set up you know, connected to our family or that our business partners visit the White House all the time. You know, I mean, it, that makes absolutely no sense. And the reason it matters, finally, is because of election interference. Our poll after the 2020 election found that 45 percent of Biden swing state voters didn't know about Hunter Biden's life of ruin. And if they did, nine and a half percent would have abandoned him. Yeah, you know, you would you would think by watching all of this that it would literally require President Biden to sign a paper saying, I did it. I'm guilty for the media to finally come to the point of saying, all right, well, maybe there is some evidence. I mean, this is the, the evidence is tremendous out there. Isn't this the whole purpose of an impeachment inquiry is to take all the uh, circumstantial evidence or whatever you want to call it and follow that evidence to where it may lead? That's exactly right. And to your first point, I, I've said this before in other media appearances, it's as if the only thing that would convince the press out there is a publisher's clearinghouse size check with Joe Biden's name <laughs> on it being found in his garage next to his classified documents. That short of that, they would not be interested. They would continue to say that there was no direct evidence. ABC News said that just yesterday morning, that there's not one single piece of paper or bank account or wire transfer that connects Joe Biden to Hunter Biden or his brother Jim. And that, I mean, that's just simply ludicrous, as I just laid out. Um, but what they try to do, as I said earlier, is, yeah, just like, uh, create this perception in voters' minds that it's political, it's a complete waste of time, and that they don't want you to be curious. And that's the issue. That's the bigger issue, that they don't want you to be curious, they don't want you to be searching for this, uh, and that's where big tech comes in as, as well. The media could be curious about this. All of President Trump's indictments, the media are saying, what next, what next, what do we still not know? What do we need to investigate further? It's we, 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 whereas with Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and the Biden family, it's Republicans haven't proven anything. The onus is on Republicans and your former colleagues to prove all of this. You know, we're really not going to do anything. It's for us. It's for you guys to prove this. Absolutely. Curtis Houck from Newsbusters, thank you so much for joining us. Great input. We appreciate it. All right, friends, stay tuned for this Friday edition of Washington Watch. Meg Kilgannon will be joining me right after the break. You don't want to miss the discussion we're about to have. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission 
as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to prayvotestand.org. Again, that's prayvotestand.org. Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded communities. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free, factual news stories, and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged. Be in the know. And stand firm in truth by visiting WashingtonStand.com today. That's WashingtonStand.com. FRC, celebrating 40 years with Congressman Randy Weber. Well, for the FRC staff, kudos, hats off, all those kinds. I I can't say enough good things. Y'all are helping hold up us during the battle. I know it's got to be daunting. I know sometimes it gets wearying. Sometimes you think, "Mm, I'm not sure. Stay the course. God bless you. We're praying for y'all. We love what y'all are doing. Please, please know you are loved and appreciated. If it weren't for y'all in FRC, we couldn't do what we do. So thank you for that. Congressman Randy Weber, a dear friend, and we are so grateful for those heartfelt words of thanks and gratitude for the work of FRC, and we're so honored to be celebrating 40 years of being in the trenches on so many fronts, and I just extend a personal thank you to Randy Weber. As Tony mentioned yesterday on yesterday's program, I'm sure many of you saw or listened to it Um, everyone has a role to play. If we're going to make a difference in our electoral system of government, we all have a role. And if you'd like to access some tools and resources to, uh, that could help you, or that could perhaps contribute to others who might be interested in receiving some help, the Family Research Council's Association of Churches and Ministries is going to be hosting a community impact training event this coming Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, For those of you in Louisiana or somewhere close by, uh, you can attend in person at the Faith and Freedom Chapel at the Baton Rouge office. Uh, For the rest of you, though, you can stream in live from anywhere in the world. Simply text the word CIT. Community Impact Team is what that stands for. Text the the letter CIT to 67742. You can get more information 
Uh, or you can also get more information at our website, TonyPerkins.com. Just follow the link from there. But you don't want to miss this. All of us have a role to play. All right, as I've discussed throughout the program today, it has indeed been a hectic week on Capitol Hill. Uh, there's been negotiations on a daily basis, in fact, sometimes on an hourly basis, uh, as the deadline of tomorrow night draws upon us for a potential government shutdown. And, you know, I'm disappointed to report that in the midst of these negotiations, we've seen some of our moderate Republicans drift from the party platform, even, when it comes to the issue of protecting the vulnerable lives of the unborn. And a handful of Republicans, including South Carolina Congresswoman Nancy Mace, she even defected on one appropriations bill due to the support of chemical abortion. Well, look, now that the we, we, we all celebrated when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, and, you know, from that, the, the, the whole fight for life in a whole new level goes back to the people, goes back to their elected representatives, both on the state level and the federal. Uh, but some people are tempted to waver on life in the midst of all of this for some reason that's kind of beyond me. Uh, but that's why it was encouraging, personally, uh, to watch the debates and to see and read about the debates and so forth of the presidential primary debate. With, uh, you had Governor Ron DeSantis. You had South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, uh, Vice President Pence. Uh, there were others that are stressing the need to go on the offense on the life issue. They recognize this is a winning issue, and they are not buying what the media is telling you, that this is a losing issue. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Meg Kilgannon. She's a senior fellow for education studies here at the Family Research Council, and of course, she served in the Department of Education in the Trump administration. Meg, welcome back to Washington Watch. Always great to have you. It's always great to be here, Jody. What a week it has been. What a week. You know, and I'm sure you have been uh, shaken, disturbed, uh, perhaps those are the right words, uh, with, I mean, let's just, I brought up Congresswoman Nancy Mace. Um, you know, has, has she been a stalwart in any shape, form, or fashion, a defender of faith, family, and freedom in the past, in your opinion? Well, she has been one of the more moderate voices, and the places where she um, it expresses her moderation, shall we say, include on abortion, on marriage. And uh, she also introduced a bill to um, legalize marijuana that was, you know, the brainchild of Americans for Prosperity. So she she has um, things that we're very opposed to that are that are uh, legislation that she's supported in positions that she's that she's held and done so very publicly and been platformed in the national media. So um, it's a problem, right? It's a problem. It really is. And I, I served with her on the oversight committee. And to be honest, I never really knew where she was going to be on so many of the issues that, that we dealt with in there. But when it comes specifically to the issue of life, it's, it's very disturbing to me, even departing from the party platform. Right. I mean, that... That, that's pretty serious. And while doing so, accusing the rest of us of, of being extremists. I mean, this is our platform. <laughs> but I'd like to go over some of the comments that she has made and, and uh, get some of your reactions to this. In, in The Hill, she actually made this statement. She said, if you don't like the drugs that the FDA approves, then fix the FDA. But this is not going to, it, it's only going to make women angrier in this country when we keep having these abortion arguments when we haven't done anything for women. All right, we haven't done anything for women, and yet here she is. She's an elected <laughs> member of Congress, for crying out loud. Uh, but uh, let's talk yeah, about this I, within the context of abortion. Uh, sure. Are, are women I, angry? Are women angry I, about this? Well, you know, I don't feel like people really care if I'm angry about this because I'm pro-life and those kinds of comments sort of anger me when I see that the that that, that people are once again and as so often they do claim to speak for all women when they take the pro-abortion uh position 
And we hear this all the time, of course, in the Democrat Party. But when you hear it on the Republican side, it really it, it really takes on a whole other dimension. And it, it's unfortunate because many, many women are pro-life. Uh, their daughters are pro-life. Their mothers are pro-life. No one thinks that abortion is a great idea. I mean, so few people would would ha- want, want to be in the position where that is something you'd consider, right? And so to to um, focus on it this way, I just think is really unhelpful. And you know, the FDA withdraws drugs from the market all the time. They've withdrawn twelve thousand drugs over the years, and it averages out to be about twelve hundred drugs every year are withdrawn, and that doesn't even count the ones that get additional um, information put in the packets that go with the drugs to to um, people at, at home. Like, you know, fixing the FDA is sort of a, a, a false, um, a stalking horse because that's not the issue here. The issue is we need to fix hearts, heal people, heal our culture so that abortion is simply unthinkable, that every life in the womb is seen as being created in the image and likeness of God, that we all that we all fight for and expect that that life will be protected from conception to a natural death. Absolutely. And, you know, when you were when you were saying, too, that, uh, you know, this, this type of comment angers you as a as a mom as a woman i i think you're right on At, nancy mace and others like her certainly do not speak in behalf of all the women across this country in fact we've got this clap clip i'm going to ask i pull up clip I mean, number two and let's, let's let's let me get your reaction to this let's play clip sure. number two please as a republican woman today in 2023 this is a very lonely place to be because I feel like that I'm the only woman on our side of the aisle advocating for things that all women should care about. Well, right, so she's Jody? thinking this is for all women. <laughs> yes. All women absolutely do care about this issue. We just don't all share her position. I mean, to, to call herself being in a lonely place, I mean, I think the loneliest place you could possibly be is in a dorm room bathroom, having taken the morning after pill or or a chemical, taken a chemical abortion pill, and having to deal with this abortion all on your own, and that is not that it just it, it's like turning everyone's bathroom into a back alley. I just this isn't the way we should be doing things in this country. We are so much better than this, and to tell women that this is their only option to deal with an unwanted pregnancy. Let's men who it takes two to make a baby, as you well know, Jody. I mean, this is this. We need to hold men accountable and responsible for the babies they help create. That needs to be a societal expectation, not put the expectation of society on the woman to just handle the problem. I mean, babies are not a problem. They're sometimes a surprise. They certainly grow up to be what you never thought they would be. Right. No one. No one can possibly anticipate the joys and the griefs and the challenges that come with parenting, right? But every child is a gift. Every child is a gift from God created in his image and likeness. And I, no means of abortion is okay with me. Wow. Well said. You know, another argument that comes from people like her all the time. In fact, I've got another clip here from her. So let's go ahead and play clip three about extremism. Clip three, please. As a Republican and conservative, constitutional conservative who's pro-life, I saw what happened after Roe v. Wade because I represent a very purple district, as purple as this dress. And I saw the sentiment change dramatically. And as Republicans, we need to read the room on this issue because the vast majority of folks are not in the extreme. Not in the extreme. Is, Is it extreme to protect a baby or is it extreme to kill a baby all the way up to the point of birth. What is the extreme position here? Well, this is, this just gets back to the point of who is the extremist? Is it the, is it the, the Democrat who says they're pro-choice quote unquote, but who is for abortion until the moment of birth? And even if you're Ralph Northam, my former governor after birth, right? 
the the logical consistency of their point is that there really is no limit on the ending of the human life if it's inconvenient to someone. And this is just simply not the standard, right? The standard is that everyone has human dignity. We are all created in the image and likeness of God and our ability. It doesn't matter. You know, I don't, I don't really care what you're going to achieve in your life. I hope that it is a fulfilling and achieving life. And I hope that you are fulfilling what God has put you on this earth to do. But even if you're going to be born and, and become a criminal or whatever, that doesn't change your right to life, right? Everyone has a right to life. And this point is missed Absolutely. so often. Absolutely. All right, I want to play one more clip for you and get your reaction, Meg. I don't know that of anyone who can respond to these any better. I want to jump to clip number five, please. Clip five. No woman wants to go to the doctor and make the decision that she's going to have an abortion. Nobody wants that. And what are we doing to to ensure that she doesn't have to make that decision? What are we doing about the foster care system? What are we doing about child care? We're doing none of those things. Yeah, we're doing that none one, of these things. <laughs> that one really gets me, Jody, because you know, people like Ryan Bomberger with the Human Coalition, who himself is the product of rape and who works, he has, I think he was one of nine or 10 foster children, and he has many foster children himself. Um, there are so many people in the pro-life movement. This is really the, the unseen part of the pro-life movement that it's forgotten so often in politics. Foster, foster care law is a state and very much a local matter. So I'm sure her committee assignments don't allow her to do that work in committee. I think she's on judiciary. That wouldn't cover foster care, right? Doesn't mean it's not happening. It is happening, and there are people who are working all over this country to help vulnerable people, whether they're women in crisis pregnancies, children who have been uh, abandoned by their parents or, or you know, in the foster care system. The, there is nobody better than the pro-life community than doing the work of helping these people. And um, that is something we must continue to do. And even though it's unseen a lot of the time and unheralded, we are also grateful for it. And it comes from this same, the same place that we're talking about, about the dignity of the human person. When you believe that, then you're going to work in these spaces. You're going to care for the vulnerable. You're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus in helping people and, and honoring their, their lives. And so that, that one, that clip gets on the wrong side of me right quick. All right, we've only got just a really brief time left, but uh, you know, if you live in her district, what can our listeners and viewers do uh, in her district to express their displeasure with her uh, vote on this and her position? Well, you could contact her office, of course, right? Um, I'm sure she's out at all kinds of events um, in the community. Um, have a conversation with her. This is this is where we need to be. When I was a natural family planning teacher, they encouraged us to meet people where they are, right? Meet the client where they are, because everybody's on a journey to understand the dignity of the human person and to honor life. And so we're going to meet her and, and embrace her and just, you know, we're always trying to move hearts on this issue. That's, that's the work we're in right now. Absolutely. Meg Kilgannon, Always an honor to have you on Washington Watch. Thank you for your incredible insight, and thank you for joining us this evening on the program. Thanks, Judy. All right, friends, that wraps up this edition of Washington Watch. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Join your friends at church. Pray for our country. Pray for our leaders right now. A lot is on them, and we will be with you next week right here on Washington Watch. God bless you. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.